Section 83 of Hidden Treasures. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Hidden Treasures by Harry A. Lewis. Cyrus W. Field. There are few people living who have not heard of Cyrus W. Field. Few people, however, have taken the trouble to learn more of him other than the fact that to him are we indebted for the Atlantic Cable, and this information has been forced upon them. One often hears the old saying, blood tells, and when we review the Field family, we are constrained to admit its truth. David Dudley Field Sr., the father, was a noted divine. He had a family of seven sons, the oldest of which, David Dudley Jr., is a most conspicuous lawyer. Stephen Johnson has held some of the most exalted positions as a jurist within the gift of the nation and his adopted state, California. Henry Martin is a renowned editor and doctor of divinity. Matthew D. is an expert engineer, and in this capacity did much to aid the success of the cable, which has made famous for all time the subject of this narrative. Matthew is also a somewhat noted and successful politician. Another brother, Timothy, entered the Navy, and we doubt not would have become equally distinguished but for his untimely death. Cyrus West was born at Stockbridge, Massachusetts, November 30th, 1819. Unlike the Appletons, Harpers, and numerous other noted families, the Fields seemed to discard the idea, in union is their strength, each selecting his own calling, to become individually singled out and honoured. As heretofore shown, almost the entire Field family have made history, but upon Cyrus does the world bestow the greatest distinction. He was the only brother choosing a mercantile life, and at the age of fifteen, nearly sixteen, he was apprenticed to the great A.T. Stewart. After his apprenticeship, he returned to Massachusetts, and started a small paper mill, and still later came to New York again, this time to open a paper warehouse, but for some reason failed. One feature of the great success which has attended Mr. Field was his stick-to-itiveness, which enabled him to fight it out on that line if it took all summer. He accordingly compromised the matter with his creditors, re-established the business, profited by his past mistakes, and in the course of eleven or twelve years, had amassed an ample fortune. Accordingly, about 1853, he decided to retire, and spent six months travelling in South America, not, however, until he had enclosed a cheque to each of his old creditors, thereby discharging a moral obligation, although not legally bound. In the meantime, a Mr. Gibson had enlisted the sympathy of his brother Matthew, the engineer, in a transatlantic telegraph company which was to be carried on by a cooperation of the telegraph and a system of fast ocean steamers. Although adverse to all thought of resuming any business, this brother obtained for Mr. Gibson an audience, and he presented to Mr. Field his scheme, which involved a telegraphic communication between New York and St. John. Hence, by fast ocean steamers, Mr. Gibson left without gaining his object, but upon reflection Mr. Field suddenly exclaimed, Why not run a wire through the ocean itself instead of ending it at St. John? Although it is claimed that Field had never heard of such an idea, yet it did not originate with him, 
In fact, a cable was then in operation between Dover and Calais, connecting England and France. Having become imbued with this plan, he at once consulted his brother David as to what legal obstacles might possibly arise, and, being satisfied on that score, he set about the accomplishment of his purpose. He saw Peter Cooper and several other moneyed men, and solicited their aid, forming a company with Peter Cooper as president. Matthew was now interested as chief engineer, and David as counsel. These will be remembered as two of the famous brothers. The burden of the work, however, fell upon our hero. He seemed to be everywhere. First in Newfoundland, where he bought the rights of a rival company then before the provincial government, where his influence secured the consent of the legislature of Newfoundland. Then he is over in England, where he is successful in not only securing the necessary rights and privileges to occupy British territory, but the special favour of the Queen and the capital stock of about $1,680,000, which it was hoped could be placed in England and was taken in a few weeks. And not only this, but the British government agreed to pay an annual subsidy of about $68,000 for the use of the cable by that government and ships, not only for surveying, but to help lay the cable. Mr. Field now ordered the cable made, and again set sail for America, and is soon at the national capital, trying to enlist the sympathy and aid of our country. The lobby and other influences seemed to be against him, and he met with the cold shoulder at every turn, but nothing dismayed this man. At last the bill passed the Senate by the majority of but one vote, and in the lower house by an absolutely small majority, but after a hard fight it became a fixed thing and received the signature of President Buchanan. Reader, look back upon the trials of Cyrus Field as you have followed them thus far. Imagine, if you can, the trouble, vexation and disappointment which have thus far attended him, and when you think that he had all this trouble to get permission to lay the cable, and that while he had already passed through much, yet his disappointments were destined to be tenfold greater ere success attended him. Will you say he is undeserving of that success? The rights are secure, the stock taken, the cable is done, and all seems fair sailing. The Agamemnon of the Royal Mary and the Niagara, furnished by the United States government, started with their precious burden. The paying-out machine kept up its steady revolutions, Slowly, but surely, the cable slipped over the side and into the briny deep. Many eminent men were eagerly watching with Mr. Field on the Niagara. A gradual solemnity took possession of the entire ship's company. Who would not be entrusted? Who would not feel the powerful pressure of responsibility? And when at last the too sudden application of a brake parted the cable and it wholly disappeared from view, the shock was too much for the stoutest nerves. All appeared to feel that a dear friend had just slipped the cable of life and had gone to make his grave beneath the deep waters. But of all that sad company, Mr. Field is the least dismayed. He recognised that a most expensive and disastrous accident had happened, but the belief was firmly fixed in his mind that the plan was practicable. He was now offered the position of general manager at a salary of $5,000 per year. The position he accepted, but declined the salary. In 1858, the second attempt was begun, but when about 200 miles had been laid, the cable parted, 
and the result of months of labor and large capital was remorsefully swallowed up by the mighty deep but while all seemed ready to give up cyrus field seemed to be everywhere his activity seemed to exceed the bounds of human endurance many were the successive twenty-four hours in which he had no sleep and his friends were alarmed lest he and the new enterprise should break together by his assiduousness the work was recommenced the same year and on the fifth of august eighteen fifty eight was completed messages were exchanged between queen victoria and president buchanan and for about a month the cable worked perfectly amid great rejoicing when all at once it stopped the cable refused to respond few thought the project would be prosecuted further but they miscalculated the power of endurance the possession of which has brought the success of that man whom they now envy because fortune has smiled upon him more especially than them how often do we find ourselves wishing we were as rich as some person or as influential as another when we have but to follow their example do as they have done endure what they have endured to acquire the coveted success if we would stop to consider that seventy three per cent of our great men were poor boys we would readily see that those we now envy are only enjoying the fruit of their own toil the civil war broke out and all work was suspended but in eighteen sixty three a new cable was ordered of gloss elliot and company in london and a capital of three million dollars was raised by the indomitable energy of mr field the great eastern was employed to lay it and on the twenty-third day of july eighteen sixty five that leviathan of the deep started on her momentous journey successfully traversing about three-fourths of the entire distance when the cable once more parted carrying with it to the bottom of the ocean every fond hope cherished by so many but once more arose cyrus west field and an entirely new company is formed and three million dollars more is raised on friday july the thirteenth eighteen sixty six the great eastern once more starts and on friday the twenty seventh of july the following cablegram is received hearts content july twenty seventh we arrived here at nine o'clock this morning all well thank god the cable is laid and is in perfect working order signed cyrus w field to make the victory more complete the great eastern again put to sea raising the cable which was lost the preceding year spliced it and the two have since been in constant use who dares deny that cyrus w field is not deserving of enduring fame for thirteen years he had borne the brunt of all the ridicule and sneers directed at this greatest enterprise of modern history he has been bitterly denounced by many as a capitalist a monopolist and the like but if the world has been benefited so many millions by the ocean telegraph it seems to us that the best is inadequate as a reward to its proprietor end of section eighty three